You come expecting? I believe we're going to hear something from, from the Lord today. <clears throat> I want to start out by reading on John 3.16 because we're, we're studying the book of Hebrews and on Hebrews chapter 12. Um, I, really, I think the sense of what Paul is trying to communicate as we study these things out is it's not anything that we do ourselves to be saved. As, as we read that we're, we're not come to the mountain um, of, of thundering, smoking, uh, scary things, but we've come to uh, the Mount Zion. We come to the promises. We, we have come to, uh, the, the, to see the fulfillment of all the promises that God made in the Old Testament and all through Scripture, that we have come to these things. And it's not by our own efforts, but it's by looking to what Jesus Christ has already done. And, you know, that's really this morning as we, as we kind of study these things out, that's really the essence of the gospel. We're just all of our hopes, everything we are, we're, we're looking to what Jesus Christ did there on the cross. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So it's not our works that saves us. It's what Christ did for us. And if we'll just look to him, that he'll see us through. So let's, before we really study these things out and uh, get to Hebrews 14, 12, verse 14, 15, 16, 17, let's just bow our heads and pray. Lord God, we ask, Lord, that you'll just come among us this morning and bless the study as we study these words out, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that these things will be edifying to us to help us, Lord, to see things a little bit more clearly, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that you'll be with Brother Noel and he's, as he's back there studying, Lord. Help him, Lord God, as he prepares, Lord God, that our hearts will be prepared and just give him liberty to speak your word to us this morning. We ask, Lord, this blessing upon the congregation in your name. Amen. And so verse 14 of Hebrews 12, where we've been reading through, says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And of course, we've kind of been studying out bitterness and what that is, but look at the example Paul gives us. He says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. So he's, he's using an example of Esau that made a bad decision. So he's cautioning us, this, let's, let's uh, make wise decisions. Count, uh, account in your head, account in your mind, what is the, what is the thing that is most valuable in life? Uh, to think that Esau would, would trade his birthright, what God had promised to him for a little bowl of lentil soup, and a, a little morsel of meat. And that's what Paul is explaining to us here in verse 17. He said, he said, For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. Because now it, it, the blessing in the Old Testament had been given to his brother. So now now that's where his bitterness sprung from. It's too late now. You, you, you done watched your, your, your blessing be given away to your brother. For he, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 18, he said, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now think about that, what Paul's expressing to us now. He's saying, you're not come to that. <clears throat> you're not come to that scene. With, and now let's go back in the Old Testament and really examine the scene that he's, 
telling to the Hebrews, you know, he was speaking to a, a group that that letter that he wrote was a, a group of people that were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. But, you know, sometimes, you know, the Gentiles are, were maybe not so much familiar with the things that he was referring to. But he was referring to in Exodus chapter 19. I'll just read a few scriptures so you can kind of compare the two. In verse 16, he said, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud. This, this is the chapter where God is making a covenant promise to, to Israel. And he told Moses to gather everybody together on the third day that God's going to speak to them and he's going to make all these promises to them. And he, and he told them, I'm going to make, we'll read the promises, the covenant that he made in a moment. He, I'm, I'm going to make you a, a holy nation. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. Everybody's going to be a priest. Everybody in the world will be able to see the witness. Now, you think about the day we're living in right now, the comparison that, that the, what God wanted, wanted to use them for. And, and, um, and, and as we read this kind of think, let's, let's make it a present tense story. That God wanted to make all these promises to them, but he wasn't go God's intention was not that they would have to do something, but that they would just hear his word and that God would affect his purpose in their lives. And they got it wrong. They, they got the interpretation of what God wanted wrong. And that's how maybe sometimes we come to church and we hear the gospel preached and we begin to think that I've got to do something. But it comes down to you just look to the cross Look to what Jesus did and, and have faith in him. It's not that you are doing anything. Right. You know, your, your whole journey starts with you, you, can't even, you can't even make a move to God because he said no man can come to the Father except the Father draw him. So it's all God doing it. You hear the gospel preached and something begins to stir in your heart and he begins to pull at you and you surrender your life and you go down into the water, but it's all him doing it and drawing you and pulling you to himself. It's not, oh, thank God that we've got a gospel where we don't have nothing to do in it. It's not how much you pray or how much you fast or how much you work or how much, how much psychology you can read or how much all of these different things you can do. It's all God doing it. Amen. To think that as you, hear the, as you hear the word being preached today, if you just let that word have an effect in your life, it will accomplish the purpose that it was sent for. It won't return to God void, that it will have an effect in you. Amen. So this covenant promise that God is making in, verse, in, 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 Hebrews, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake. And God answered him by voice. Now, let's just go back real quick and just read again what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you are not come under the mount that might be touched and that burn with fire and nor into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of trumpet and the voice of words and all those, those things. Hey, let's, let's, let's read what Brother Brown said in Jehovah Jireh. He said, now that covenant lasted Israel on up till they made their final mistake. Exodus 19, hundreds of years later, when God had, looked what grace had provided, the unconditional covenant, not on any grounds at all, but just on grace it was provided. 
You know, I see how man's mind can twist the promise of grace into this is what happened there in Exodus 19 to where they begin to think that God wanted them to do something to be pleasing to God. And isn't that what Paul has already explained to us in Hebrews 11, that faith is how you please God. The way that you please God is just by believing him. It's not that you work up something or try to do anything, but just believe God. And then believing God will produce works in your life. But we don't put works before faith. Works comes after faith. Works is a product of faith. When they were taking their journey to the promised land, as God had promised back here, Abraham, his seed, would sojourn in a strange land for 400 years under bondage, but would come out. Look, they was already out from under the bondage. God, by grace, had provided them a prophet, a pillar of fire, a sacrificial lamb, a greatest revival they'd ever had, and they were standing on the banks dancing, beating tambourines, and having a real Pentecostal jubilee. Everything, their enemies all killed behind them and everything and yet they wanted something to argue about. They wanted to get a law so they could have something to do into it. Now, there's, there's the human condition that we want something to do in it. We want, some, we want our part. When our kids are going astray, we want to go in and meddle with it and, th- and, and do something. But so many times, the right answer is just let turn loose and let God have his way. Let God, let God move on the scene. God will bring it, his word to pass. And Exodus 19, well, if we look what the covenant is, look what God promised them at the beginning of that chapter. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, now these, I've got these four parts highlighted, and keep my covenant, then ye shall, ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. And I think we could apply that to the present day, that that's what God wants. He wants you to be a peculiar treasure to him. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. And, of course, what we, do, we know is we can type that today. A, a priest makes sacrifices, and that's why you made a sacrifice this morning. You came to church, and you made a sacrifice to get up out of bed, and maybe, maybe this morning you weren't feeling good, but you sacrificed Ministers sacrifice all the time. They sacrifice their time, maybe when they're not feeling like studying, but they sacrifice because that's what a priest does. That's what you're called to do is make sacrifices for God. You sacrifice your life. You sacrifice everything you are for him. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And that's what God is promising them, that he can, just by hearing the word and believing what he, he, he promised, he would, he would make them a holy people. These are the words with which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. You think what the covenant is, obedience to God's voice. Just listen to him and do what he says. Special relationship, a kingdom of priests, and a distinct identity. And the people said, in verse 8, And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Now, Brother Brandon would highlight this as the, the great mistake that they made. And that's the great mistake that people make today down through the seven church ages as they hear the gospel. They hear the message preached and they see people living a, a changed life that God has gotten a hold of their life and changed them. And they begin to think, maybe not quite understanding that I've got, I'm going to, like, like all those examples that Brother Brandon gave us, I'm going to put feathers in, poke the, 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 the feathers in my back so that I'm, you know, 
look, look, try to fake it and, and all those things. Try to work something up. And spiritual adoption, Brother Ram said, Moses represented the law. God gave the children of Israel the law because that they wanted the law. God didn't want them to have it. That's man's choice. In Exodus 19, they said, you give us something to do to merit our salvation. We'll keep a law if you'll give it to us, in other words. But it never was God's plan. Amen. It's better just to quit planning yourself and just use his plans. I find that much easier to take his plan. And uh, he swore by himself. He said, when they come out with him, God out in the wilderness said, oh, oh, give us something to do. We want to form us an organization and we want you to give us something to do. Let us make us something like this. Give us a law to keep. Exodus 19 was the greatest mistake that Israel ever made. When grace had already provided their salvation and they wanted something to do to merit it. God already swore to Abraham what he was going to do, what he was going to, get to go. Now, see, that, see why I read John 3.16 at the beginning? There's nothing you can do to merit salvation. It's all on Christ, what he did on the cross. That's what we're preaching is Christ. They said, let us have the law, and the law never did. No one never kept it. They never did because you're not saved by works. You, you try to be saved by works and try to keep all the letter of the law, and sooner or later you'll mess up somewhere. Oh, but God, when God puts that law in your heart, it changes your desire. That changes everything. The law, what does the law do? The law is, is, is like exposes our guilt, our need for something. And now, see, this is now I'm, I'm talking about the gospel message this morning. We're going to kind of back up and just make it real simple to, to declare what, what really is the gospel. The law, declare, it exposes your guilt. Let's examine like what the Ten Commandments are really saying. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then we put all these things in our life. Maybe if you, if you, if, uh, we put all these things before God and put maybe our family or, uh, you know, even sometimes things that look good before God. And then you're, you're guilty before God. You see, if we go down this list of all these things, it, it exposes the need for a Savior. Thou shalt not make unto thee even a graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You know, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't use your mama's name in, in, uh, just as like a, a byword or something. But people will use the name of Jesus as just kind of something to just toss around when they wouldn't even do that with their mama. And you see, when you do that, it's exposing your guilt that you need a savior. That's what the law, the law is like a judge pointing his finger at you saying you're guilty. You need something. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Oh, there's the respect. You know, if you, you, you think about all the times Brother Brown talked about how he would talk back to his mama and, and, and daddy until his mouth was just mush and he had to drink through a straw. That's my testimony. I, I had such a bad temper when I was young. I was constantly in trouble for uh, back talking and things. And you, we're all guilty of things like that. And, and you see, the word is preached and it begins to expose your guilt that there's something wrong that you need a savior. Thou shalt not kill. And Jesus magnified the law and said, if you speak against your brother behind his back, if you gossip, then you've, you're guilty of murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But you just look at a woman with lust in your heart, and you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. So there the law is exposing our need for a Savior, that it's not by works within ourselves that we can do. How can we satisfy the law when the law makes us guilty? Right, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. 
and thou shalt not covet. Oh, we it really if we really dive into all these things, what kind of guilt would it expose? Oh, we, we need a savior. But grace, law puts us in jail, but grace, the grace of God sets us free. That's what John 8, 36 says, if the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Free from, free from all, all the bondage that the devil has put you under. Galatians 5, 1 says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, you, you think about, I was thinking about this the other day. So a, a, a young person asked me, what's, what's your favorite doctrine? And you might say, well, my favorite doctrine, you might go to a doctrine that maybe could make you look real big in the head and make you something to give you brag, bragging rights to show the great revelation that you have. But, you know, I began to think well, my favorite doctrine is that it's free. There's nothing you got to do for salvation. It's a free gift from God. That is my favorite doctrine, that there's nothing. When you come to church this morning, there ain't nothing you got to do to get it. All you got to do is look to him, look to Jesus Christ. And Roman, all these things, all, this slide I'm here, I've got here displayed. Grace, grace is a free gift from God that you didn't have to do nothing to get. Amen. Romans 6.22 says, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And taking sides with Jesus, Brother Ram said, not by works, not by deeds, not by power, not by might, by my spirit, saith God. Not what I've done, what I am, or what I will be, but what he is. And I am in him. And whatever he is, I'm part of him. Amen. I'm saved because I'm part of him. And he is God, and I'm part of him being his son. That's right. So ain't what I've done, but what I will do, it's what he has done. That's my trust right there. Now, that means, that means that, you know, you go into the bookstore and you'll find all these self-help books and things that you can read and we try to work up something. And, uh, you know, even Matthew six twenty seven says, I, I love this scripture, but Jesus said, which of you, by taking thought, and I'm going to apply it to like, you go into the bookstore and you pull all these self-help books off the, off the shelf and it says, you've got a problem, maybe, maybe with pride or maybe you've got a problem with whatever and you try, you, you, you want to think real hard I want to. I want to get rid of that. But it's not by thinking real hard. You can take. You can take thought as much as you want, but it won't add one cubit under your stature. And that's why I, I wanted this morning devalue poking at one another and identifying one another's faults. But that because that's not how it works. And you're not going to get rid of pride or enmity or anything like that by going up to somebody and say, "Look at all this enmity you got." But I tell you what, to get rid of it is when you let the word of God have an effect in your life and you become subject to the word and let it claim you. It's not by self-improvement. It's not by mindfulness or goal setting or behavior modification or going to Alcoholics Anonymous or communities and sitting around and sharing your ideas and your opinions. But it's the word of God claiming your life and having an effect in you. It's not by works. And we could go through all these things, observing rituals and moral purity and fasting and all, that, all the things maybe that even the Catholic Church will do, regular confessions and almsgiving and pilgrimages and so forth and so on. It all just becomes legalism. And legalism, you know, if you really examine it, it's the belief that salvation or favor with God can be earned through strict adherence to religious rules, rituals, and moral codes. Believing that one's own efforts 
and good works can secure your salvation. <clears throat> now, let's not lose sight of where we are. We, we're reading Exodus 19 and studying these things out and studying out what Paul meant. It was, as he was saying, we're not at that mountain where they were. We have come to the fulfillment of all the promises of Scripture. We have come to Mount Zion and a great company of angels and the thick cloud of witnesses and all those things. Legalism, look, look what legalism does. If you come like they did it there in Exodus 19, it can lead to a self-righteous attitude because you believe that you're saved by works, by the things that you're doing, and a judgmental outlook towards others who do not adhere to the same set of rules. It can also create a sense of pride in one's own achievements and a constant fear of falling short or not measuring up to the required standard. And Brother Brown said in God's covenant with Abraham and his seed, he said, and the dove was not clave apart when, when, when God uh, put, uh, when Abraham made his sacrifice and God put him to sleep there and showed him the burning lamp moving between the sacrifices and so forth. The dove wasn't clave apart, but the animal showing the difference between them that there would be a time that law would change to grace and so forth. Grace was first, and grace had al already provided a Savior down in Egypt. They already had a Moses to deliver them out. They already had a sacrifice. They already had everything. But where Israel made her final fatal move is in Exodus, 9, Exodus 19, where she taken on and wanted law and rejected grace. That's right. Grace is always right. Not what you do, it's what you believe. It isn't works lest any man should boast. It's by grace are you saved through faith. Faith. And what's, what's grace? Here's a, a picture of a man leaving prison. He's been set free. He's got his paperwork there. He's, he's on his way home. It's unmerited favor, freely given by God, without any requirement for humans to earn it. There's nothing for you to do to earn it. And the message conference, Brother Ram said, the children of Israel on the road back, they had another conference with God. Moses did at the Red Sea. We'll call that the Red Sea Conference. When right in the line of duty lay trouble. And listen, Christians, there's where you'll make your fatal mistake. There's where Israel made her fatal mistake. When she asked for a law to serve God by. In Exodus 19, after grace had done provided a savior, Moses, a prophet, done provided a lamb, done provided a covenant, done provided all these things, and yet they wanted something to do themselves. They wanted some theology. That's what's the matter today. If we'd have left Pentecost the way it was at the beginning, but we had to have something to argue about. We had to be oneness, twoness, threeness, church of God, all these riding humpback camels of one hump, two humps, three humps, and so forth. What difference does it make how many humps a camel's got as long as we're riding it? What difference does it make whether you're in a Ford or a Chevrolet? Just keep moving. Now, let's meditate on that statement just a moment. Doesn't matter where you are, just keep moving. Doesn't matter if you're in a good spot or a bad spot, just keep moving. Just keep moving on. Now, isn't that exactly what Paul's been explaining with all these parables and examples of running a race? You're in a race, so don't stop. Just keep moving. It doesn't matter whether you're in a Ford or a Chevrolet, whether somebody, you see, it doesn't matter whether somebody maybe believes a little bit different than you do. We're all, God's got us all in control, and he's all drawing us into oneness with him. 
So just keep moving. I, I think that's what Paul is trying to express here. It's like you're in a race, and it doesn't matter if you're at, like this man here in this picture in bad shape. It doesn't matter maybe if you just fall in the ditch, you just get, get back up, and you, you just, just keep moving. No matter where you are in life, get back up and keep going. What difference does it make, Brother Brown said, whether you're in a Ford or a Chevrolet, just keep moving. Amen. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, but ye are come unto Mount Zion. Now, somebody told me, it says, when, when you're reading these scriptures and things, it sounds like you're making this a present tense thing. And, and, and I want to say, I'm not. Paul is. Paul is the one that said we're, we're preaching a present tense gospel, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You, you listen sometimes to the way that people talk, and it seems I think we've been putting things way off in the future for so long. It's time to believe, and it, it's the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is always a present tense reality. Even if there are more aspects and things to be unfolded in the future, but yet he's here right now. He's here in our midst doing wonders, and he's working a miracle in your life as he's changing you. And that's what I believe Paul is saying when he says, ye are come unto the fulfillment. Every, every, prom, every promise, every type in the Old Testament was speaking of where you are right now. Ye are come unto Mount Zion. And think about what these things are, Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, speaking of, speaking of that place where we're going to live, but it's also speaking of the bride. It's speaking of this, this diagram behind me on the board here. You are come to these things, the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels. What's he talking about, an innumerable, innumerable company of angels? In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, he said that angels were ministering spirits, ministering, ministering to the heirs of salvation. So you come to a place where those angels are attentive to you. That's what, to, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the church, judge of all, and to spirits of just men made perfect. You've come to, you've come to where the Holy Ghost can make your life, make, make your soul perfect, and begin to mold you into into the likeness of Jesus Christ and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. You have come to these things. In other words, the, the old Testament, and we'll stop on this. The old Testament had all the, 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 the 10 commandments that we can read about. Look, look at those stones there, but now in present tense, God has given us the ability that somebody is going to see this word live today. Amen. And we'll stop on that. God bless you.